Welcome back to the Future of Supply Chain here in Rogers, Arkansas. I'm JP Hampstead, Strategic Analyst at Freightwaves, here with Carolyn Duffy, an investor at Construct Capital. Hey, Carolyn. Hi. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, you, uh, Construct Capital is an early stage venture capital firm focused on what you guys call foundational industries. What does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. We, as you said, are a seed Series A fund. And what we believe are our foundational industries are those industries that have driven and will continue to drive over half of US GDP that have been vastly underinvested in for decades, particularly as it relates to innovation dollars and venture capital dollars. And so we're excited about backing the extraordinary entrepreneurs that want to innovate in those spaces uh, across software, robotics, and, and the like. Great. Uh, okay. Um, and you guys are you know, highly thesis-driven. You invest in e-commerce logistics technology. Can you tell me a little bit about how uh, that software is developed? You know, sort of what companies are building in that space? So we, we've seen just a massive surge in e-commerce's penetration of retail over the past few years. And I'm interested to see, sort of, you know, hear from you, like what the opportunities are. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, there has been an explosion in e-commerce growth over the last couple of years. And, and certainly that's accelerated due to COVID. We have seen a little bit more of a shift back, especially when you think about big and bulky and, and other areas where brick and mortar is, is starting to see a renewal of interest. But I think we're going to continue to see e-commerce purchasing continue to expand over time. And, you know, from a tech perspective, I think one of the the trends that we're seeing and, and are very focused on is that the barrier to entry for a brand has never been lower. But the reality is that with that increased competition, the CAC, the customer acquisition costs has gone up quite a bit. There are more and more brands fighting for relatively the same eyeballs and on the same platforms. And so what that means is that lifetime value, stickiness of the customer, retention has become all the more important in e-commerce um, and for brands. And so a lot of our investments have focused in and around how do you provide that incredible and delightful consumer experience from end to end, particularly in this omni-channel world where you can order online, go brick and mortar, pick up in store, fulfill from store. There are numerous different options and ways to buy and ways to deliver. And right now it's been fairly fragmented and, and not always smooth for the consumer. Amazon has obviously set a very high bar for that and other brands are looking to meet and exceed that bar and, and meet the customer expectation for delivery, whether it's quality, on-time arrival, all of those things. Um, so that's where, where we um, focused. At, at Freewaves, when, when I was, back when I was writing the news about transportation and logistics, you know, every... Uh, November and December, we would write stories about peak retail season, um, UPS on time rates and things like that. Every January, we would write about reverse logistics and, and um, what people uh, do with all the stuff they don't want, right? And uh, e-commerce uh, retailers have been 
like, you know, at the leading edge of, of reversal logistics, whether it's like Amazon sort of like no house returns, whether it's like e- even like, like the Zappos model where like, you know, my wife orders like 20 pairs of shoes at once and, 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 and returns some of them with, with, with no real friction. Um, but at the same time, reverse logistics is highly manual. It's, it's high touch. Involves, you know, like evaluating physical objects and, and repairing them or refurbishing them or recycling them. W- what's the role that technology can play in, in reverse logistics? There's an incredible opportunity for tech in, in reverse logistics. And I think, you know, particularly for us at the early stage, we're seeing more and more companies building in and around reverse logistics. And navigating those exact challenges that that you mentioned. Um, you know, I think as sort of a macro perspective too, as we think about last mile, I do also think that reverse logistics is going to become a requirement for a really highly scalable last mile delivery system. Those pipes really have to be be built out and our existing last mile delivery systems for the most part do not have a lot of the flexibility or the tech enablement to allow for smooth reverse logistics. So from a tech perspective, I think it's everything from the routing and optimization that makes the pickup and reverse logistics possible in a company or with a company that's already doing forward logistics there, building that up, um, understanding where that product then has to go, which is also often a different place than where it came from initially. It's not necessarily going back to, to the same warehouse. And then you mentioned the, the particularly important point, and I think the most gnarly uh, space, which is identifying where and how the the goods will make it back. So there's, you know, upwards of 450 to 500 billion dollars worth of goods that are returned at any point in time um, in the U.S. And computer vision, in particular, can be valuable in automating a lot of what is today done manually for identifying any issues with the product, what can be repaired, what can be put back on shelves, uh, and what can be resold, and really scaling that out into tiers of quality, and then ultimately optimizing the routing for what channel those are going to go back into the ecosystem. That makes a lot of sense, and that's, that's super helpful. I love what you said about like routing and optimization because this reminds me of like you know, the, the 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 issues that like large parcel carriers, for example, have with um, you know uh, keeping revenue on the truck when they're making like residential deliveries and, and and things like that. And you know, I can I can imagine a scenario where it's like you have um, someone in their personal vehicle making like like small parcel deliveries, but also like picking things up as well, right? And it's like sort of every front porch is a loading dock, right? Right. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's really fascinating. There's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, I was talking with Aaron Rubin from Ship Hero about this the other day, and he was basically talking about you know, demand prediction, um, using uh, data to forward place inventory close, close to the consumer and things like that. And, and, and really the, the problem of generating an, enough scale and enough transactions to uh, train AI models. Uh, that's something that, 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 that you've thought about a lot. Can you, can you explain like, like, like 
when you're funding a company, you know, how do they deploy capital so that they can grow sales really fast, but also build the technology to take advantage of the, of the scale that they're achieving? Mm-hmm. You know, at the early stage in particular, I think what's important from a tech perspective is that they're setting up the tech infrastructure in such a way that they're able to collect the data that they need for the future. Even if the reality as a seed company is that they're not deploying meaningful AI as an example or, you know, optimizing to the degree that they could in several years from now. I think what's important is having the tech structure such that you can effectively collect the data you need, have it well organized and tagged, very clean data. And that means that as you evolve, as you grow as a company, you have that structured data pool to pull from and then to drive analytics from ultimately. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so you, you start with the transactions, you, you start making sales, right? And you you want to you want to make sure that you're collecting as as many characteristics about those shipments and, and those people as you as you possibly can, and then you you sort of build the automation as you go and as, as you get the data density to do that. So maybe like you start off predicting, you know, based on the the vertical. Or based on the, you know the category product, and then later on you you can drill down and, and you can predict demand based on you know the the the, the seller or may, and eventually maybe the SKU right is, is is that sort of what you're talking about? Yep, absolutely. I think all of those can be inputs. You can take macro inputs as well. If you think about from a retail context, the things that can drive purchasing, whether it's or, or delivery, whether holidays, seasonality, all of those external factors can impact your sell-through as well and or where that inventory needs to be deployed at any given time. You know, I think as technology evolves, there's more opportunity for things like few-shot and one-shot learning where you can have smaller sets of data that will ultimately be able to provide more robust predictions and optimization. But the more good data you have, generally speaking, the better. And so to the, the extent that you can have information on the consumer and the buyer, information on the SKU and point of sale information, time, place, all of those things will ultimately impact and allow brands to more effectively forward deploy and plan their inventory accordingly. That's fascinating. Um one of the things that I've noticed uh, covering sort of like the intersection of, of freight and technology for the past uh, four and a half years is that a lot of times it seems like VC interest, uh, like, like, like VCs like discover a space or a category of company kind of all at the same time and, and, and rush into it. And so like in freight, like there was a big, uh, a big push for like sort of automated brokerage, automated like freight matching. There was a wave of funding going into like autonomous vehicles and things like that. Um, e-commerce logistics and even like, like fulfillment um, with, with physical infrastructure also seems to be having its moment. What's, if, can we like look around the corner for a minute and see like, like what's next? As a seed uh, investor, like, like who, who are the, um, the, the companies or, or the ideas that you find most compelling right now? Mm, yeah. Well, the way we think about it is, you know, we've seen particularly in Last Mile, this bifurcation between hyperspeed and hyper-efficiency. 
And so you see a lot in the hyperspeed space, things like quick commerce, under 10 minute delivery and, and all of that are perhaps... Yeah, that, that stuff seems crazy to me. Yeah. So, you know, and, and perhaps contrarian or, or perhaps not that contrarian, um, our thesis and perspective is really on hyper-efficiency. And so who are those companies that can continue to provide convenience and really hyper-convenience to an ever more demanding consumer, but leverage technology so that they have superior and more stable and scalable unit economics. Um, and so that's companies that are deploying things like batching, forward and reverse logistics, single point pickup or drop off, um, route optimization and, and whatnot, and scheduled delivery as well. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Reverse logistics certainly, I think, is a, a big piece of this next wave of early stage companies. And where we're putting our focus, attention, and dollars is ultimately on those companies that are building hyper-efficiency in and around Last Mile. Nice. I, I, I like, I like the, uh, the bifurcation between sort of like crazy high burn, um, you know, dopamine, instant gratification, uh, and like, you know, actually building networks that work and, and, and make money. Um, the, my last question is actually about capital markets. Well, every time I talk to freight brokers and I want to know the markets, like I say, you know, what, what are your customers saying? Are they, what's volume pressure? Like, what are rates like? When I talk to VCs, I say like, how are your LPs feeling? Like, like is, is there, you know, is there a lot of pressure to uh, keep investing and deploying capital in this space? Um, is there, is there a little bit of uncertainty? I'm curious what it feels like for you. Yeah. So, you know, from this perspective of LPs, I think they are used to investing on a very long time horizon, longer even than we are as VC investors. And so they've seen a number of the ups and downs and I think are, are certainly aware of, of what's happening and balancing across public markets and private markets for their own books. But no crazy freakouts or, or anything like that. Um, and, and I think as we think about it, it's really more the consistency of investing in fundamentals where there is a key problem to be solved and an innovative insight and, and product and great team to do it. And so we don't feel overly concerned about the public market shifts and, and what we're seeing now and that impacting us at the the early stage. Good right. companies will still be being built. That's interesting. It's that yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. Um Carolyn, uh thank you so much for joining me. Um it's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for having me.